Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week. Anybody? Come on, where's my... Yeah, I hated tests. And if I'm being honest with you today, I didn't like tests because I didn't prepare for tests, all right? I didn't like to study. I'd rather hang out with my friends. I know some of you, you know, you were all about studying. Some of you were all about flashcards. You were flashcard ninjas, and you had flashcards for every subject. And and in between classes, you'd run to your locker and get out your flashcards and, and make sure you were prepared. I didn't like to do that. I wanted to socialize. I wanted to hang out with my friends, you know, talk about what are we going to do this weekend? Where's the party going to be? I was witnessing for Jesus. Come on, somebody. I was not in high school. I wasn't, uh uh-uh. But I didn't like it because I wasn't prepared for for tests. I didn't want to put forth the effort. I didn't want to put the hours into studying or into to memorizing things, you know, because I didn't, I didn't like it that there was, you know, a right or wrong answer, that it was either just, you know, the answer is yes or no, or it's true or false. I was that guy that was, you know, I circled in between true and false, sometimes thinking maybe, please, let there be just a maybe true or a maybe false, and it never worked out for me. I'm the guy that, you know, I hated the, the questions that said, you know, choose the, the best answer. Some of you teachers, you like writing those, choose the best answer. No, just give me the one with the right answer. I want to choose the best answer. I want the right answer, right? Some of you that are on break now, you're a teacher, you need to spend your summer vacation resting and repenting in Jesus' name <laughs> for doing the choose the best answer questions, right? No, I'm just kidding. We love our teachers. Can we give it up for our teachers? Come on. You made it another year, and now you get to rest. Um, I didn't like tests, but in hindsight, I'm thankful for tests. In fact, I'll say this. I'm thankful that my doctor had to take some tests. Are you with me? Uh, Like, I'm glad they took some tests. I'm glad that while we were out running around and causing trouble, they were in the library studying. I'm glad that they were in the lab you know, taking care of some business. I'm glad that they were, you know, memorizing all the things that they had to, to memorize. And I'm not even going to pretend to know what some of you doctors had to memorize. You were just, you were studying anatomy and body parts and juices and tubes and whatever, all kinds of, of things, right? But I'm glad that you did that because there came a point in your life where it didn't matter the grade that you got on the test. What mattered was, could you put into practice what you learned on that test? Are you with me? What mattered was there came a point where you had to, you had to make a diagnosis and you had to come up with a, a plan of care for somebody. And so it didn't matter, you know, what you got on the test. It just mattered that you could put it into to practice. There came a moment where you had to take a scalpel and cut somebody and watch the blood come out. And I'm just making some of you sick on purpose. I'm just doing that for fun. But there came a point, right, that it, 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 you had to put that training into practice. And I would propose to us that our faith journey is the same way. That we can know some verses, that we can come into church, that we can go through 
the motions, that maybe even you can get involved in a small group or in a, a Bible study, and you can get some knowledge, but there comes a moment where it's not about what you know. It's about can you apply what you know. There comes some moment in your life where you're like, dear Lord, what am I going to do in this season? There comes a, a moment in our lives, there's a, an opportunity, if you will, for a, a test. A test to see, have you really retained the information? A test to see, you know, is it more than just coming in here and singing some songs and, and leaving? Is it, has it actually migrated from your head to your heart? And ultimately to your hands, right, to your feet, that you are taking action on the faith that you, you have. Or is it you're just singing and declaring some words? Is it really true to who you are? And so I want to talk today about a fire-tested kind of faith. Because a faith that has been forged in the fire is a faith that can be, be tested. And just so we are all clear on this, God is not the God who's sitting up in heaven like trying to, to tempt you and cause you to fail. Like, that's not what he does. We, we took some of those, those, those tests, you know, and those, those teachers that would, you know, say, choose the, the best answer. Then you're tr just trying to cause us to fail. But that's not who God is. God is a, 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 a not allowing tests in our life to set us up to fail. He's allowing tests in our life to see the strength of our faith or to produce even even stronger faith in our life. And so I've discovered that it's in the testing that our faith is strengthened. And I want to talk to you from this story in the Old Testament about three guys in the book of Daniel. Perhaps if you've been around the church for a while, you've heard this, this story. It's an incredible uh, story. And I think there are four things today that I want to show us and how we can respond to our times of testing. And let me give you a little bit of backdrop. These, these boys were taken out of Babylon, which is present-day Iraq. Uh, and Babylon was about like 50 miles south of what's known as Baghdad today. And they were brought uh, into captivity by an evil king called Nebuchadnezzar. And he was a, a bad king, wicked king, didn't love God, didn't serve God. Uh, in fact, he served his own God, served himself a lot. But in the book of Daniel chapter 3, um, it's a fascinating story. And I think we'll see some unique things in here in verse 4. Are you guys ready? All right, here we go. We're going to dive in. Verse 4 says, then the herald... And that, by the way, that's not like your Uncle Harold, all right? That's like uh, somebody who delivers a message. It was funnier in my mind. I should have kept, sometimes I just shouldn't say things. I should just keep it, you know, where it belongs. Um, the Herald proclaimed proclaim loudly, this is what you are commanded to do. O peoples, nations, and men of every language, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, and the harps, the pipes and all kinds of music. Music, In other words, when the band starts to, to warm up and get ready to play, you must fall down or bow down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And here's the deal. If you refuse to, it's, it's, you're not going to get like a ticket or a demerit. You're going to get something a little worse than that. It says whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That seems a little over the top, does it not? It seems a little bit extra. When I was a kid and I remember hearing the story, I remember like specifically thinking, well, why don't they just bow on the outside but stay standing in their heart? Anybody else? Like why not? Like why not just bow, you know, outwardly but in their heart they could just remain true to God. However, these Hebrew boys, 
man, they had a, a conviction of character about them. And they had a, a love of God. So it was problematic for them being brought from, you know, these, their Hebrew boys, they were Jewish, brought into Babylon. And now they're working for, for this king. And they had this conviction. They had this love of God. And they simply could not bow. And so they find themselves in this great test. But the command was clear that, hey, this is what you have to do. And if you refuse to do it, then you're going to be thrown into the fire. But they would not bow. And here's what I propose to us today. In order to have a faith forged in fire, you will have to go through the fire. And I, I understand you're like, well, that's obvious. And that seems elementary. I know. But it's kind of countercultural to what we often teach as we follow Jesus, that everything's going to turn out great, that it's all going to be lollipops and, and roses and, and unicorns, but a faith that is, that is forged in fire, it must go through the fire. In fact, I'll say this, I don't think a, a, a faith that can't be tested is a faith that should be trusted. You should be able to, to test your faith. Your faith should have, have feet Right? There should be some activity associated with your, your faith. And so here's the response in verse 12. It says, when the king's officials came to tattle on these young men, which, by the way, nobody likes a tattletale, even back then. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it says, but there were some Jews who had been set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. That's these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had been raised to positions of authority. In fact, the king noticed something in them. He didn't recognize it at the time, but it was the Spirit of God inside of them. And so they weren't just in Babylon, they were actually leaders in Babylon. They held positions of, of authority. And so it says this, these guys, they pay no attention to you, O king. And you kind of sense their jealousy, you know, right off the bat. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Then listen to verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... And so these young men were brought before the king. So the music's playing, band's warming up, everybody's bowing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, can't do it. And so the, the other king's officials, they run, you know, and rat out these, these young men. And so here's the first thing that I want you to write down uh, about a fire-tested faith. In fact, if you're a note-taker, write this down. If you're not a note-taker, start today. All right, write this down. You're going to need this. Number one is this, faces opposition. Somebody shout opposition. You will face opposition. Anytime you step out for God, anytime you even want to do anything great for God or take a risk for God, you can put it on your calendar. You will face opposition. Now, you can call it what you want to call it. You can dress it up however you want. You can say, well, it's a challenge or it's a storm. You know, call it opposition, call it whatever. It doesn't matter the label you put on it. You will face opposition. Because opposition, you got to think of it as, as a fertilizer that is there to grow your faith. Now, a lot of us don't like the way fertilizer smells, right? But you cannot, you know, dispute the results of it. Is there to grow our faith? And what I've discovered about opposition in my own life and in serving people that I've pastored is that opposition can give you a narrow mind. Opposition can give you uh, tunnel vision. Opposition can cause you to be self-kind of um, 
involved or, or self-fixated because all of a sudden when opposition comes, you think the entire world is against you. That you must not be in, in God's plan for your life. That God is no longer with you or for you. In fact, there's an example of this in the Old Testament with a prophet named Elijah. We won't get into it today, but he had just had this incredible victory over all of these false prophets. This amazing victory for God on his behalf. And like a, a few days later, he's ready to kill himself. Saying that I'm the only one serving you, God. That everybody's out there trying to get me. Well, that wasn't true. There were other people serving God, and there was only one person, this wicked lady, who was out trying to kill him. But you'll face opposition. You just can't allow that opposition to give you a narrow mind. Because what happens is the enemy wants to, in those moments, feed lies to you. Hey, God's not with you. God's not for you. This is not his plan for you. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did the right thing. They didn't bow. When the king called them in, and they had the potential of being thrown into this, this furnace, but they still did the right thing. But opposition can cause you to get so narrow-minded, so, so self-focused that you're like, well, nobody knows what I know. Nobody feels the trouble I feel. Are you with me? Nobody's going through what I am going through. But here's the deal. If you're not prepared for it, you will get wrecked when the opposition comes. If you just think it's all going to be roses and everything's going to be fine and you're not prepared to face the opposition, you will get knocked off, off track the moment it comes because you think that God is like this heavenly vending machine, that everything should always work out in your favor. And so when opposition comes, you know, you're going to be like, God, where are you? This can't be right. This must not be your plan. But it could be you are right in the middle of God's direction for your, your life. It just, it doesn't mean that opposition won't come. So you've got to see opposition for what it is, I guess is what I'm saying. And it's a gift. In fact, opposition is opportunity. Somebody say opportunity. opportunity. It's an opportunity. And I'm not saying that God sends opposition. The Bible says that, that God is not the, the sender of temptation into our life, but he is the user of it. He's a divine user of the issues and the things that we, we face. Paul wrote what the enemy meant for evil, right? God will use for good. So what the enemy means to eliminate you, God will use to elevate you. Are you with me? God will, what the enemy means to tear you down and destroy you, he'll use to test your metal, to see your, your strength of your faith. And that testing of your faith produces perseverance, which perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything is what the Bible says. So opposition is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to test your, your resilience. It's an opportunity, uh, I'll say it this way, for God to say, hey, do you actually have the goods? Or is this just a box that you check? Do you have the goods? Or do you just show up and you sing some songs in this environment or put on a, a Spotify you know, playlist in your car and it's in your head and you have some knowledge, but it has not gone from your head to your heart. Do you have, have the goods? And it has not traveled ultimately to your, your feet. You know, you won't know, right, if you have that until you face opposition. You won't know the strength of it. Like, come on, we're, the, the couple's in the room. You didn't know the strength of the marriage until you got quarantined with each other for a year. Are you with me? Come on. And some of you found out that it wasn't as strong as you thought it was. 
Only in opposition can you tell if your faith has made the journey from your head to your heart and ultimately to your, your hands. Because it either burns up when opposition comes or it gets refined and turned into pure gold in your life. So you got to see it for what it is. Opposition is an opportunity. Otherwise, if you don't see it this way, you'll start to despise opportunity. You'll despise the opposition, opposition. And I'm not saying that everything that comes your way, you have to get up and say, well, you know, thank God for this tragedy. Thank God, you know, for this thing in my, my life. No, in fact, God tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, give thanks in all things, not for all things. Yeah. It's not you have to give thanks for it. Yeah. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that you give thanks. Why would Paul say that? Because I think he knew some things about opposition. Here's a guy, the Bible says, that had a thorn in his flesh that he begged God to remove. Here's a guy who was, who was beaten and snake bit and stoned and shipwrecked and persecuted by people, by critics. Which, which by the way, just a quick side note, if you're, you're going to have a, a fire-tested faith, you will be persecuted by critics. And they may come in the form of people who are, you know, religious or small-minded, pharisaical kind of thinking people in your life, you just gotta brush it off and continue to advance in Jesus' name. But opposition is an opportunity for us to grow our faith. And that's why Paul could say that. Give thanks, you know, in all things, in all things, because he knew that in all things, I have the opportunity to grow the thing that's gonna take me to the next level, which is my faith, which is why we're doing this series, because I want our faith to grow inside of us to take us to the next level level because you won't know if you know the facts if you've never been tested on the facts you won't know if you can carry the weight until you've had some weight put on you are you with me you won't know if you have the the strength to stand until you've been given a challenge an opportunity so it could be for somebody the challenge that you face today is an opportunity from God for you to be able to say, my faith can handle this. Somebody turn to your neighbor right now and say, my faith can handle it. Come on, let them know. My faith can handle it. I've been working that faith muscle. I've been building up my belief. And it's more than just in my head. It's in my heart. It's made it to my heart. And I want you to see how these three Hebrew boys, they respond whenever the king brought them in. And he said this, all right, I'm going to play the music again. In fact, he gives them another shot at it because he likes these boys. He knows the, the quality of who they are. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. So he, he gives them another shot to, to, to bow this time. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16 says, they replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand. They always focused on the, the God is able part. Like God is, is able, but they said with great confidence and great boldness, he will do it. Won't he do it? Come on. He will do it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know. Like still, still showing honor, by the way. Still respecting this king in his position that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of of gold. The first thing is you will face opposition. Number two, a fire-tested faith increases confidence. Increases confidence in what, Colby? In God. And in who God is. 
They have the confidence to say, our God is able to rescue us. He can do it. In fact, some of you, that just that might be why you're here, just to remind yourself today that God is able. That might be why you're watching online today, to re be reminded that God is, is able. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition that did not elevate you know, God's ability, that he has all the ability. Maybe you grew up in a, a religious tradition where it's like, yeah, God got things started. He, you know, he created the earth, and he kind of you know, cranked it up and let it start spinning, and now he's just kind of sitting back. Watching it spin, chilling out, relaxing all, shooting some b-ball out. So that it's, that's what God's doing, right? That he's, he's a God who's a distant God. He's a God who is, you know, kind of, you know, removed from your, your life. He's a hands-off kind of God, but that's not the God we serve. God is, is able. He's able. Some of you need to remind yourself of that. That's what a, a fire-tested faith does. It has the ability to remind yourself that my God's able He's able to heal this disease. He's able to restore my marriage. He's able to provide for my career. He's able, right? God is able. He's able to bring my child back from the brink of disaster. He's able to open that door. Come on, he's able. He's able. Now, his help might not always come in the, the way that you want it to. It might not always come in the package that you want it to. It might not always come in the time that you want it to. Uh, I'll say it this way, his ability is not attached to our urgency, but it does not mean that he's not able. He is able. The Bible says he's, he's exceedingly and abundantly able to do more than we can ask or imagine. But look at this, they didn't stop there. They took another step. They didn't just say he was able because, come on, that's easy to get excited about, is it not? It's easy to clap to. My God's able. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, he's able to do miracles. He's able to, to see us through. But can we get here? Then they said this, even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. See, I don't want us just to have a, a my God is able kind of faith. I want us to have an even if he doesn't kind of faith. I want you to have the kind of faith that says, you know, whether he gets us out of the furnace or not, we're going to worship him. Whether he gives me that financial breakthrough in life or not, I'm going to serve him. Whether he does this and heals my body or not, I'm going to be faithful to him because even if he doesn't do it, he is faithful. In fact, he doesn't have to do another thing for my life because he already did the cross for my life. Even if he doesn't do it, right, he's able. So I'm going to keep serving him and keep loving him and keep worshiping him and keep praying to him. Even if he doesn't, that's what these boys did. Even if he doesn't, I'm praying this stirs in, even if he doesn't do it, kind of faith. But here's the deal. We never get there if our faith is a transactional faith. What I, what I mean by that is to say it's easy for us to say my God is able and to have that kind of faith when God's coming through. It's easy to worship God on the other side of your miracle, is it not? It's easy to, to worship God when you are on the, the mountain peak and everything's going well in your, your life. But what about when they are literally tying you up, getting ready to throw you in the furnace? I've seen too many people that have a transactional faith that in these moments of desperation, in this kind of moment 
of, of being, being tested, they get derailed because they thought that church attendance was making deposits into their heavenly bank account. They thought that, that Bible study was making deposits. And so one day when they faced opposition in their life because it was coming, that they could make a withdrawal on God. But then when God didn't respond the way that they wanted him to respond in those moments, right? They get derailed because it was transactional. Is God you do for me? I'll do for you. God, I put a quarter in you. You give me a miracle in return. But can I tell you something? If, if your faith is a transactional kind of faith, whenever something opposes you, it's going to be difficult for you to stand under that. But if, on the other hand, it's transformational, meaning it's got its way into your life and into your heart that has moved from your head into your heart, right, then you understand that God is good all the time. You understand it's more about the character of God and who he is. If it's a transformational faith, because it's easy for us to, you know, we, we think about God in terms of God is love, God is merciful, God is forgiving, and all those attributes of God we love. And that's the easy part of God's character to get behind. But what about the parts that say God knows the, the end from the beginning? What about the part that says God's ways are not our ways, that he is sovereign? Those are the parts that are more difficult for us to, to love about God, but all those are the fire-testing faith kinds of attributes of God. In fact, I believe if these young men were to write a commentary on this moment in their life of, of standing firm for God, I think they would say, we knew God was able. We knew he would rescue us from the fire, right, because he has all ability. But even if he, he doesn't, we understand his character. And we understand that he's doing something greater in the world than our little piece. We understood that he sees the, the end from the, the beginning, right? We understand that he's outside of time, that he is greater. And so we didn't, you know, know the outcome of this, but the outcome of it didn't decide for us whether we were going to follow God or not. Some of us follow God based on what we believe the outcome of him working in our life will be. He said we, we didn't know the ending. But we knew a God who did know the ending. And so even if he doesn't do it, we're going to keep worshiping. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep showing up. We're going to keep, that's a, a fire-tested faith. It's transformational. It's not transactional. And it would be awesome at this point of them refusing to bow, the King Nebuchadnezzar would go, you have such great faith. Be free and prosper and go. But that's not what happened. Look at verse 19. It says Nebuchadnezzar was furious. So he went from rage, he already has some rage, rage, to now he's furious. So he's got some anger issues. He needs a little freedom in his life, come on. But he was furious at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. It says he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up these boys and throw them into the blazing furnace. So a fire-tested faith faces opposition, increases our confidence in God, but it also remains faithful. That's number three, write it down. Remains faithful. And I think about this, how they remained faithful, because if it was me, and I'm just being honest, and I got a second chance, I got a do-over at bowing or going into the furnace, I'm thinking, I'm going to bow. Especially when they said it's heated up seven times hotter. 
Because you're telling me they couldn't feel that heat? They couldn't feel it in the moment? In fact, the Bible says that the guys who threw them into the fire, because it was so hot, they themselves died. Because of how hot it was. They could feel the heat of the fire coming off it, but they were still standing. I guess my question for you is, can you feel the heat and still stand? Remain standing. Can you feel the heat and say, you know what, I'm planted, I'm rooted, like I'm rooted on the Christ, the solid rock of my, my foundation of my faith, that I'm like a tree planted beside living water, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to produce fruit that he wants me to produce in my time. I'm going to remain faithful. That's what they did. They remained faithful, even as they were physically tying them up. I always try to put myself you know, in the story and think, man, what is, what is that like? It's like, oh, this is actually happening, guys. I wonder if one of them said, hey, Shadrach, you know, is this, is this a good idea? I mean, do we really go, go through with this? But they remained faithful, even when they cranked up the fire. And can I give you a little insight? Many of you have discovered this. If not, um, you will experience this. But when you decide, you know what, you're going to face opposition in life and your faith is going to increase in who God is and you're going to remain faithful, here's what you need to know. The furnace will get hotter. It will get heated up in your life. I've seen it time and time again. I've seen it a lot of times people will, will, will say things like, Colby, you know what, I, I started to be obedient in the tithe and return to God, you know, a tenth of what he's given me because I understand everything that I have has come from his hands into my life. And so I want to show him that I trust him and I want to show him that he is number one in my life. But as soon as I started doing the tithe thing that you talk about, Colby, bills started coming in. The fire is getting hotter. That's what that is. The fire is getting hotter to test your, your strength, to test your, your commitment. How deep does your commitment actually run? Well, Colby, you know, I, I wanted to start serving, but every time I'm scheduled to serve in the church, it's like I, I stay up too late, I can't get up early, my kids are going crazy at home, right, I can never make it in here. That's the fire getting hotter in your life. Colby, I'm trying to be a good husband to my wife. But man, I'm just, I feel like I'm failing over and over again. I can't do it. I'm ready to give up. I don't even understand her. Well, number one, bro, you will never understand her. Just so get that out of your mind. Number two, that's the fire. And it's just getting hotter. But when the fire gets hotter, can I tell you something? That's when you need to stand stronger. Not when you need to cower backwards. Because the hotter the fire, I believe it's the, the greater the indication that you are on the brink of the breakthrough. You're on the brink of what God's going to do in your life. If you will remain faithful. And it goes on to say this, and I'll, I'll end with this. This is uh, an amazing story. Again, I'll get into it a little more next week. But it says King Nebuchadnezzar, he looks down into this furnace. He tied up the boys, threw them in there. He says, weren't there three? I see a fourth. He says the fourth one looks like a son of God, and this is actually an Old Testament uh, appearance of Jesus. It's called a Christophany. And so Jesus is right there in the fire with them. It says they brought out the boys, and, and they didn't even smell like smoke. They're, not a hair was, was singed at all. And that's, that's a fun one to preach, by the way. Man, no matter what your trial is, you can come out on the other side not even smelling like what you've been through. People can get excited about that. I'm being honest, I don't know if that's always true. 
know that was the case for these boys, but we can't apply their experience to your experience. You know, sometimes you're going to get burned. Anybody? Sometimes you will smell like smoke. But the whole point of this, this story is, is this right here. The next verse says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The whole point of having a fire-tested faith, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's the one who sent his angels to rescue his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. A fire-tested faith always elevates Jesus. See, the point of this story was not that the guys came out and it's a miracle and not a hair was singed and they didn't even smell like, like smoke. The point of the story was that 30 verses before, there was a wicked king who set up a, a statue of himself everyone to bow down to. Whenever the music played, 30 verses later, look at what he says. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says there's no other God like their God. So the point of having a fire-tested kind of faith is to point to the source of your faith. Is to point others to it. It's not that just God will strengthen your faith and he will. It's not that just faith will grow inside of you and it will, but it's through your faith. Others would praise the God that you serve. They'll see you walking through that furnace and they'll say, hey, how is it? I know you're going through cancer and I know you're going through chemo, but you have a smile on your face and you have joy in your heart. You know what that is? They're seeing Jesus in the middle of your furnace. How is it you're praising God and you just lost your son? Talk to a man this week who lost his son way too early in life. You just lost your son. How is it that you have peace? How is it that you can face that? You know what that is? That's through seeing Jesus in the middle of that. When you go to, to work and people are like, man, how you're getting ridiculed, you're getting beat up for, for standing for your, your faith or in school when you were in school is for staying. How do you do that? I want that. You know what they're saying? They're saying Jesus in the middle of your furnace. The point of all this is to point to Jesus. In fact, the point of the entire word of God is to point to Jesus, the only one who can, can save us, the only one who would stand right there in the fire with you rescued you, and by the way, he did. You need to know that he already did that. He already did that by going to the cross for us. He stood and he took on the flames of our punishment on our behalf, so sin wouldn't have to touch us, so that we would be made right with God, and I'm going to tell you more about that in just a second, but here's, here's what I want you to see, a fire-tested faith, number one, throw it up on the screen opposition. Always mark it on your calendar. It increases confidence. It remains faithful even when they heat it up seven times hotter. And it elevates 
Jesus. That is a fire-tested faith. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today.